Welcome to Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. If you're a busy woman struggling with hormonal issues like PCOS, fertility struggles, and other hormone imbalances, and you feel like you're the boss of your life in every area but your hormones, then you're in the right place. I'm your host, Melissa Groves Azero, integrative women's health dietitian, coffee lover, cat lady, all black wearing, former New York City advertising exec turned professional period fairy. It's my mission to be the no BS hormone nutrition education resource for smart women struggling with hormone imbalances so you can have regular symptom-free periods and optimize your fertility naturally. I'm here to share real, actionable, science-based tips you can use to get real results without cutting out foods, spending hours in the gym or meal prepping, and without losing sleep, because we're all about balance here at The Hormone Dietitian, and I am so glad you're here. Let's get started. How do you know if all the changes you're making to manage your PCOS are actually working? I got this question from a member of the Hormone Dietitian community, and I wanted to address it in an episode. Some of the things you might want to think about are, are you eating the right types of foods for you in the right amounts for you? Are you taking the right supplements, doing the right types of exercise at the right time of day for you, and so on? There are so many factors that go into a comprehensive treatment approach to PCOS. So how do you know what works best for you and your PCOS? PCOS is complex and the symptoms are complicated and can appear almost anywhere in the body. And every person with PCOS is unique. Unique symptom presentation, unique root causes driving those symptoms, and unique severity of those root causes. Not to mention unique goals, preferences, lifestyle, time to spend implementing changes, budget, access, etc. So it's impossible to say if you follow X diet, then Y symptom should clear up by Z date. So I want to caveat this episode by saying that every person is different. Results seen with my patients and the students in my PCOS Root Cause Roadmap course may not be typical for everyone. So this is sort of a general guideline of what you can typically expect based on my clinical experience, but you may have different results. Okay, then. In this episode, we'll cover symptoms of PCOS, root causes of PCOS symptoms, which symptoms are tied to which root causes, how to notice if your symptoms are getting better and a realistic timeline for symptoms to clear up. And we'll also look specifically at weight loss and pregnancy because those are the two most common goals people who are working with me come in with. Symptoms of PCOS. So let's start by going over some of the common symptoms of PCOS, which I am sure you are all too familiar with. Symptoms include irregular cycles or ovulation, which is one of the diagnostic criteria of PCOS. Menstrual cycles longer than 35 days or less than six to eight periods a year 
Or you may notice that you're having anovulatory cycles, meaning you're not seeing a confirmed temperature rise or a rise in progesterone during your menstrual cycle. Male pattern hair loss. This is not overall hair thinning. Male pattern or androgen-driven hair loss is primarily on the temples and the top of the scalp. Hirsutism or excess facial or body hair. Again, this isn't a matter of just being hairier than the average person. Hirsutism is characterized by coarse, dark hair in places like your upper lip and chin, upper arms and upper legs, back, belly, and breasts. Oily skin or acne, typically androgen-driven acne is found primarily along the jawline or the whole face. And high androgens can also cause acne on your body, like on your back or back knee or your buttocks. Cravings, especially cravings for carbs and sugar, which is due primarily to insulin resistance. Weight gain and difficulty losing weight. And we'll get into some of the root causes driving that later in the episode. Mood disturbances, anxiety, depression, PMS, disordered eating is also much higher in the PCOS population. Sleep disturbances like fatigue, insomnia, or not feeling rested after sleeping. Acanthosis nigricans or thick, dark, velvety skin that appears on your neck, armpits, and in other creases of your body like armpits, knees, and skin tags as well, both of which are signs of insulin resistance. Polycystic ovaries, again, a diagnostic criteria, and polycystic refers to immature egg follicles, not functional ovarian cysts. So for a PCOS diagnosis, we're looking at more than 12 immature egg follicles in both ovaries. Each ovary would have more than 12. And the way this is diagnosed is through a transvaginal ultrasound. You may also, depending on how long you've been dealing with this condition and how old you are, you may be starting to see complications of PCOS like prediabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, fatty liver disease, and sleep apnea. Or if you're trying to conceive, you may be experiencing infertility, miscarriages, or pregnancy complications like gestational diabetes after getting pregnant. I'm sure you are all too familiar with all of these symptoms. So let's talk about the root causes that that drive these symptoms. All of these symptoms are caused by four underlying root causes that are common drivers of symptoms of PCOS. These are insulin resistance, inflammation, gut imbalances, and hormone imbalances. Insulin resistance is present in 75 to 95% of people with PCOS. So this is the most important one to tackle for most people. It can cause cravings for sugar, fatigue, weight gain, physical symptoms like the darkening of your skin on your neck or skin tags. And most crucial for PCOS, it raises testosterone levels. Go back and listen to episode 16, Balancing Blood Sugar for Better Hormones to learn how insulin affects other hormones in the body. Inflammation is also present at a higher degree in people with PCOS regardless of weight, 
than in people without PCOS. But excess body fat worsens inflammation and inflammation increases excess body fat. So it can be a vicious cycle. Inflammation can be hard to detect in the body because you don't necessarily feel inflammation, but often skin and gut symptoms are present and allergies, asthma, and autoimmune conditions are big red flags for inflammation. It's not always possible to determine the cause of inflammation, but PCOS itself also causes inflammation in many people. Gut imbalances are common in PCOS and we know that the gut microbiome is different in people with PCOS than it is in people who don't have PCOS. The gut microbiome matters because the types of bacteria present in the gut influence everything from blood sugar balance to metabolism and weight to mood and more. And people with PCOS have higher rates of gut conditions like IBS, IBD, and also seem to struggle more with symptoms like heartburn, constipation, and gallbladder issues. Common symptoms of gut issues are bloating, gas, and digestive disturbances, either too many bowel movements or too few. Since the gut is responsible for excreting excess hormones, we can't have balanced hormones if the gut is not working properly. Finally, hormone imbalances. Most people know that high androgens are part of the diagnostic picture of PCOS, but I see very little talk out there about which androgens are high. Testosterone comes primarily from the ovaries and is primarily, but not always, driven by high insulin levels. DHEA, on the other hand, comes primarily from the adrenal glands and that is being driven mostly by lifestyle. Not just external psychological stress from stressful situations, but also internal sources of stress like imbalanced blood sugar, inflammation, not getting enough sleep, skipping meals, and more. And the third type of androgen that can be high is DHT, which we can make from either testosterone or DHEA, and it's much stronger than testosterone. DHT is activated in skin cells and hair follicles, so it can be the one responsible for many of the hair and skin symptoms we see with PCOS. So we have to figure out which androgen is high and why, and then determine a proper treatment approach. But androgens aren't the only hormones imbalanced in PCOS. Cortisol dysregulation is common and circadian rhythm disturbances are often responsible. And this can cause symptoms like difficulty losing weight, anxiety, insomnia, and fatigue. Thyroid imbalances occur at a higher rate in PCOS, whether they're autoimmune or being driven by cortisol dysregulation. This can worsen symptoms like fatigue, feeling cold, and hair loss, as well as irregular cycles. And finally, estrogen is also a problem in PCOS. I always say just because you have PCOS doesn't mean you don't also have estrogen issues. Definitely something to look into if you struggle with symptoms like painful, heavy periods, PMS, or you've been diagnosed with uterine polyps, fibroids, or endometriosis. 
technically, I don't count diet and lifestyle as a root cause of PCOS, even though they can contribute to your symptoms. This is partly because your diet and lifestyle did not cause your PCOS. But depending on what you're doing, they could be making your symptoms better or worse. Where I talk about nutrition and lifestyle is in my four-pronged treatment approach. Just as a reminder, my four-pronged treatment approach to PCOS encompasses nutrition. We want a blood sugar balancing, anti-inflammatory, gut and hormone supporting plan, which is ideal. Lifestyle, and when I'm talking about lifestyle, I'm referring to movement or exercise, sleep, stress, and environmental exposures. Supplements, these really have to be specific to the person, the root causes, the lab results, the diet, and your goals. Testing is the fourth prong, which is diagnostic testing, root cause testing, and monitoring to keep tabs on how you're progressing. So which symptoms are tied to which root causes? Now that we've covered all of that, let's talk about how symptoms are connected to root causes. With insulin resistance, we're going to see symptoms like cravings, especially for carbs and sugar, feeling hungry all the time, even if you just ate, feeling overly thirsty and or urinating frequently, dysregulated blood sugar or experiencing highs and lows. Really with highs, you're going to feel kind of tired and sluggish. And with lows, you may be feeling shaky and hangry and irritable, sometimes sweaty if your blood sugar drops too low. Fatigue, especially after eating, weight gain in the belly area. Insulin resistance makes it impossible to lose weight because you can't tap into your stored energy, aka fat. Acanthosis nigricans, which I mentioned before, which is that dark skin on your neck, armpits, knees, etc. A waist circumference of over 35 inches puts you at higher risk for insulin resistance. Frequent colds or infections. If you're getting sick often, that may be a sign of blood sugar dysregulation. And finally, lab abnormalities. If you've had lab testing and they tell you you have a high fasting glucose, a high fasting insulin, or a high A1C, or maybe you've had oral glucose tolerance testing, you know, whether pregnant or not, and you've quote unquote failed the test, all of those can be signs that insulin resistance may be an issue. Inflammation, again, we don't really feel inflammation. We kind of see the effects of it on our bodies. Typical symptoms that we see with inflammation are hives or rashes, things like eczema, psoriasis, et cetera, joint or muscle pain, unless you have a legitimate you know, injury or you're an athlete or something, you shouldn't be having joint or muscle pain. Allergies or excess mucus, loose stools or seeing mucus in your stools, brain fog, difficulty concentrating or mood disorders like anxiety and depression, cystic acne, that really painful under the skin kind of acne, and lab abnormalities here as well. Maybe you've been told that your CRP is high. Gut imbalances, these are pretty self-explanatory. 
Most of them are digestive symptoms like bloating, gas, heartburn, nausea, constipation, which is defined as having less than three bowel movements a week, or loose stools, which is defined as having more than three bowel movements a day. You may also see food allergies, intolerances, or sensitivities start to crop up, gallbladder issues, poor appetite, especially in the morning, having symptoms after eating certain foods like broccoli, cauliflower, or onions, having symptoms after taking a probiotic or eating fermented foods, Sometimes there are symptoms elsewhere in the body that may not necessarily alert you to the fact that that it might be a gut issue. But for me, autoimmune conditions and skin conditions, as well as mood conditions, are always a little red flag that we need to look deeper into the gut. Hormone imbalance symptoms, acne, primarily caused by high androgens in PCOS, but which is it testosterone, DHEA or DHT? Acne can also be caused by inflammation or gut imbalances. Hair loss, there are so many causes of hair loss. Hormonally, we're looking at low thyroid, high cortisol, high androgens, again, which androgen is high? as well as nutrient deficiencies. Not being able to fall asleep easily, waking up in the middle of the night or getting a full eight hours of sleep but never feeling rested can all be signs of hormone imbalance. 3 p.m. energy crash can signal cortisol dysregulation or other hormone imbalances. Irregular cycles, that's having menstrual cycles that are longer than 35 days or no confirmed ovulations, having symptomatic periods like heavy periods, clotting, PMS or PMDD, or really any sort of cyclical symptoms that are happening every time you you get a period. Fatigue can also be a major sign of hormone imbalances, typically of cortisol dysregulation or low DHEA levels. And lab abnormalities, you know, maybe you've been told you have high testosterone, high DHEAS. And I want to note that if DHEAS is high, DHEA is definitely high. We don't always see a high DHEAS when DHEA is high because that conversion can be blocked by inflammation, which is common in PCOS. So a lot of people, if they've only had a conventional DHEAS test may not think they have adrenal involvement. Other hormone abnormalities would be low progesterone or low thyroid. So what's a realistic timeline for symptoms to start clearing up? In order for the symptoms to start clearing up, it takes time for root cause approaches to work. And depending on the degree or the severity of the root causes, This can take more time than you were hoping. In functional medicine, the saying is that you should expect the treatment for a symptom to take about half as long as you've been experiencing a symptom to full resolution. So for example, let's say that you've been noticing heartburn for about two years now. You could expect the treatment to take upwards of one full year before you feel fully better. Another way to put it is that you might not notice gradual improvements. In James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, which by the way, I love, 
he talks about a goal of 1% improvement each day. So if you're consistently implementing the recommendations to improve a symptom for one week, you'd improve by 7% in a week or 1% each day. You're unlikely to think that a 7% improvement is significant. But fast forward a month, stay consistent, and now you're at 28%. Fast forward six weeks or the length of the PCOS root cause roadmap, and now you are at 42%. So that's nearly half resolution. And you're sure to start noticing some difference in the way that you feel by that point, at least enough to know that you're on the right track. Hey there, quick announcement. If you've been listening for a while or following me on Instagram, you probably have heard me mention my signature program for PCOS, the PCOS Root Cause Roadmap. Well, I wanted to let you know that doors are going to be opening for a brief time again soon. If you're struggling with symptoms of PCOS like irregular cycles, lack of ovulation, fatigue, carb cravings and sugar cravings, acne and hair loss, weight that won't budge no matter what you do and trouble getting pregnant, did you know that all of those symptoms are being driven by the same root causes? So you could attempt to treat the symptoms individually like a lifelong game of whack-a-mole, or you could take an entirely different approach that addresses the upstream root causes, meaning you can improve all of your symptoms at once. Imagine yourself in just six weeks feeling confident that you know exactly what to eat for your PCOS which lifestyle changes will actually make a difference, and which supplements are best for your situation. Plus, you'll learn what tests you need for proper PCOS diagnosis, root cause identification, and monitoring your progress, how to interpret those tests, and what to do when they're not optimal. The PCOS Root Cause Roadmap is my proven and proprietary six-step method for PCOS success, and it's the exact same methods and protocols I use with my patients. It has everything you need for support, including hundreds of PCOS-friendly recipes and suggested meal plans, six exclusive PCOS yoga videos developed just for this program, and a private community where you can join over 700 previous course participants. And the best part, you get lifetime access to the course. So you can always go back and rewatch the modules whenever you want. Recently, we moved from having the doors to this program always open to an open close enrollment format so that we can better serve students as they're going through the program on the same timeline. So this October will be the last chance for you to enroll until 2023. We will have VIP spots available to add weekly group coaching and lab testing to your program, but those spots will be extremely limited. So if you know you want to take control of your PCOS once and for all in just six weeks without giving up any of your favorite foods or tracking anything, be sure to get on the wait list at thehormonedietitian.com forward slash PCOS RCR dash wait list. 
We get started on October 17th, and I can't wait to help you identify and address your root causes of PCOS. There will be special early bird pricing, but it will only be available to those on my email list. So again, you want to go to thehormonedietitian.com forward slash PCOSRCR hyphen wait list to be the first to know when doors are open and get access to the special early bird discount. Okay, back to the episode. So what's a reasonable kind of timeline to expect symptoms to clear up? Well, in my programs, we go through PCOS nutrition, lifestyle, and supplement recommendations in a stepwise fashion. Step one is balancing blood sugar and improving insulin resistance because that affects most people with PCOS. And honestly, that's a smart plan even if you don't have PCOS. Step two is lowering inflammation. Again, not a bad thing to focus on for anyone. Step three is where we address gut issues and imbalances, which are common in PCOS. And this step is necessary before we start working on hormones. Step four is finally getting to address those hormone imbalances, which we can only attempt after those first three steps are completed. Step five is where we tweak the program and start customizing recommendations. With my one-on-one clients, we do this based on their lab work. But this is also where we determine things like which supplements are right for you, exactly how many carbs are right for your situation, et cetera. And step six is planning for the long-term and making the plan sustainable because PCOS is a lifelong condition. So whatever you're doing, you have to be able to live with for a lifetime or the symptoms are just gonna come back as soon as you stop. Based on what I see with my clients and my PCOS root cause roadmap students, after implementing recommended changes, the first things they start to notice shift are the symptoms related to blood sugar balance, because that's where we start. With some simple nutrition strategies to keep blood sugar balanced, they almost immediately start to feel decreased cravings and hunger. By implementing blood sugar balancing meals, this immediately helps them feel more satisfied with meals, not craving sugar or carbs, and avoiding those nighttime binges. Increased energy, again, balancing blood sugar is going to have an immediate effect on energy. Prioritizing sleep and having a toolbox of tactics to help you get better quality sleep will also have a pretty immediate and noticeable effect on energy. Once you're sleeping better, moods are also more stable and positive. So these improvements are often happening in the very first week of us working together. Next, as we move into starting to address inflammation, we often see skin issues clear up, whether that's acne, eczema, or other rashes. For those who've struggled with allergies, asthma, et cetera, they start to notice less sneezy mornings and less reliance on medications. As we move into working on the gut, people almost immediately notice less bloating and that their pants are fitting better, especially at the end of the day. As you're consistent with implementing changes that benefit gut health, you may start to notice less gas, more regular bowel movements, Symptoms like heartburn clearing up completely, 
But often these take at least a couple of months of consistency to see. Then as we move into addressing specific hormone imbalances, this is where the real magic happens. Periods start to come more regularly with most people achieving 30-day cycles and never going back. Ovulation can be confirmed with cycle tracking. For those who are trying to get pregnant, once we get ovulation back, pregnancy usually happens within the first three or so cycles. Once we know which androgen is high and why, we can start implementing specific changes that lower testosterone, DHEA, DHT, or whatever combination that you have. If estrogen issues are also present, you'll start to notice less symptomatic menstrual cycles, less PMS, fewer premenstrual migraines, less heavy bleeding, fewer cramps, less fatigue, etc. And if we uncover any adrenal or thyroid issues, we can address those as well, which leads to a skyrocketing in energy. Some symptoms do take longer to notice a difference, in particular, anything involving a hair follicle. Because hair follicles have natural life cycles of their own where they're growing, resting, shedding, it can often take several cycles until we notice new growth on the head or less growth on the face, for example. And we have to be targeting the right androgen. If your testosterone is normal, but your DHEA is high, for example, a recommendation like drinking spearmint tea isn't the right recommendation for you. For you, you'd need to focus on the lifestyle changes and reducing stress in order to lower your total androgen burden. So first, we have to make sure you're on the right treatment, which we would only know by testing. And then you'd have to be consistent with that treatment for six months to a year or more to even start to notice a difference in hair. Hair is complicated too because there are so many other root causes. With hair loss, we've also got to consider thyroid and cortisol levels and nutrient deficiencies like iron, zinc, B vitamins, etc. Also seeing a lot of post-COVID hair loss in my practice these days. With hirsutism, sometimes it's not being driven by androgens at all, but is instead related to your genetics or your ethnicity. But again, it all comes back to determining the why and then determining the right treatment course and then sticking with that treatment course until you start to see a difference, which unfortunately can require a lot of patience. I want to talk specifically about weight loss goals and pregnancy goals because both of these can be tricky and they're the most common goals that people who work with me have. First, weight. Weight is a symptom of the root causes. It is not a cause of PCOS symptoms. It is impossible to lose weight if insulin is high, androgens are high, cortisol is high or low, thyroid hormone is low, inflammation is present, your gut microbiome is a mess, etc., etc., and as we've talked about, it takes time to address those root causes. And those have to be addressed in order to even begin to see the impact on the scale. But if the scale is the only metric we're looking at, we are likely to be disappointed by our progress. So when it is talk about realistic goals, starting with your starting weight, 
So let's make it 200 pounds to make the calculations easier. So recommendations for PCOS and benefits are seen with a 5 to 10% weight loss goal. So if you're starting at 200, that means 10 to 20 pounds, making your goal weight 180 to 190. If your goal is 120 or 130, I want you to gently ask yourself when the last time you weighed that amount was, if ever. If that was your high school weight when you were running 40 miles a week on the track team and eating an apple for lunch every day, then that's not very realistic or sustainable for where you are now. We are not supposed to weigh what we weighed in high school. Bodies are supposed to change. So generally, you want to aim for an adult weight that you felt good at, that you maintained for a while without much effort, that wasn't impairing your ability to live your life in the way that you want to. For example, I had a client who was a yoga instructor and she had gradually gained weight after her pregnancy, but it started bothering her wrists and preventing her from doing her job fully. She knew that she had always felt really good and active at the 180 to 190 range. So that's what we shop for. Ultimately, the best weight for you is the one that you can maintain without much effort. When you're doing your normal exercise, eating your normal foods and not going hungry and making room for normal life stuff like occasional treats and dinners out. If you've never been at a lower weight that you've maintained in your adult life, go back and start with that 5 to 10% goal and see how you feel at that weight for at least a few months before attempting to lose more. Now that we've got a realistic amount, now we want to look at a realistic timeline. So if you want the weight to stay off and you don't want to trash your metabolism for the long term, you should be aiming for half to one pound of weight loss per week, no more, no more than one pound a week. Although in the beginning, it may come off a little faster. So don't worry, but you do want to moderate that. So let's say you want to go for that 10% goal and lose 20 pounds. It should take you 20 to 40 weeks to reach your goal, meaning five to 10 months. I know this doesn't sound very exciting, but this is the good sustainable weight loss that we want where you're eating enough food, you're not feeling restricted, you're not focusing on food all the time and the weight is gradually coming off. I very strongly encourage my clients and students to not weigh themselves regularly and to not focus on the scale, especially while we're working on all those other root causes So it's often a surprise when they go in for their annual checkup and their doctor says something like, oh, you're down 10 pounds. What diet have you been following? And they get to say that they're not following a diet at all, but are actually eating more food than they ever have before. Now that all of those root causes are being addressed, the scale finally starts to shift. I also want to mention the mental and emotional benefits that we so often forget to think about. You've probably spent most of your life following those foods to avoid lists or tracking every bite that you eat, not eating things that you want to eat on holidays or vacations, ordering salads at restaurants, etc. 
So many of my clients and students feel a sense of extreme relief after working with me. They feel confident that they're making the right choices for their body. They don't feel restricted and they can live a normal life. They don't fear foods and they report feeling more freedom around food than they ever have before. And they rejoice when they remove that calorie tracking app from their phone or shove their scale in the back of the closet or better yet, give it away. Imagine what you would do with all that extra time not spent focusing on the scale or on what you're eating. It really is life-changing. Trying to micromanage the scale is not beneficial for mental health in any way, and it's not a good way to measure progress with PCOS. So please stop trying. Okay, similarly, pregnancy, much as we want to be able to control it, we really have very little control. All we can do is make sure we are having intercourse in our fertile window and supporting our bodies with nutrition, getting enough sleep, moving our bodies, but not too much, taking a prenatal and other fertility supplements, etc. But whether it actually happens or not, even if we're doing everything quote unquote right, isn't often up to us. Most of the women I work with regain regular ovulation within the six weeks of working with me. And if they don't, then we have some bigger guns we can pull out to get them there. And if that still doesn't work, I start to question the PCOS diagnosis and want to make sure that other diagnostic labs have been looked at to rule out similar presenting conditions like hypothalamic amenorrhea, congenital adrenal hyperplasia, high prolactin, androgen secreting tumors, hypothyroid, etc. have all been ruled out. But ovulation is the main hurdle to getting pregnant with PCOS. So once we've got you ovulating, most people manage to get pregnant within three to six cycles. If you've confirmed six ovulations and you still aren't getting pregnant, that's where you'd want to start digging deeper into why. Are you timing intercourse properly? Has your partner's semen been analyzed? Is there something else going on like a blocked tube or polyps or fibroids or endometriosis? How's your thyroid? How's your prolactin, etc.? Obviously, if you're not ovulating at all, you don't want to wait the six months to reach out for help. You really want to work with someone, whether that's a more natural approach like working through one of my programs or reaching out to a reproductive endocrinologist to get you properly diagnosed and perhaps trying things like ovulation stimulating medications to see whether you respond to those or not. I know it can be frustrating when you're doing everything right and it's just not happening. But the main thing is to get you ovulating. And then if you are ovulating and it still isn't happening, then it's time to start digging deeper. What next? Well, obviously, I'm going to recommend that if you haven't gone through the PCOS root cause roadmap, my six-week proven and proprietary roadmap to PCOS success that would be an obvious next step. We cover nutrition, lifestyle, supplements, and testing for insulin resistance, inflammation, gut imbalances, and hormone imbalances, then guide you on how to personalize your plan and make it sustainable. And you get access to my private community for long-term support. 
The next round of the PCOS Root Cause Roadmap will start in October. So you can get on the wait list at the link in the show notes. That's the educational arm of how I work with clients. It's all the information you need to identify and address your root causes. However, if you have gone through the program and you're still not noticing any meaningful differences in how you feel, it may be time to consider doing deeper root cause testing to help you personalize your nutrition, lifestyle, and supplement plan based on your root causes. Even though I give you all of the information inside the PCOS root cause roadmap that you need, I was finding that many of my students were still struggling to get the testing I recommend because doctors just didn't see the point. So I developed my PCOS answers program in response to that. We get you all of the root cause testing you need to determine the right nutrition, lifestyle, and supplement plan for you. We do open four spots a month. And if you're in the US, you can apply at the link in the show notes. So to wrap up, since I always ask my guests what the one thing they would want people to take away from this episode would be, here's my one thing, which is actually kind of a few things. You want to be kind to yourself. You are just learning how to incorporate new habits and habits take practice and time. It's not going to come naturally at the beginning. Be patient. You have been struggling with these symptoms for years, if not decades. We are not going to unravel all of that in a week. Celebrate every win, even if it seems small. Look at how far you've come from where you used to be and don't get bogged down in the goals that you haven't accomplished yet. The goal here is progress, not perfection. It's the things that you do most of the time that make the most difference. And remember that you know your body best. So if something isn't working for you, listen to your body, not the quote unquote expert, whether they're an actual expert or not, who is telling you otherwise, myself included. You are an individual. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. See you next time. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could open up the podcast app you're probably using to listen to this episode right now and leave a quick rating or review. Your reviews help this podcast get seen by more women who could benefit from the information I share here. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, stay balanced. Stay balanced.